0: welcome to wobblies and wizards i'm your host Logar the barbarian and i'm joined by my guest today courtney campbell of hack and slash publishing welcome
1: oh well it's nice to be here i like the decor
0: oh well thank you <laughs> my uh, my game room a basement <laughs> uh-huh. i tell folks i'm not i'm not barbara walters i don't do good interviews i'm just a I'm just a middle-aged guy geeking out about role-playing games in my basement. And that's pretty much what this podcast is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Hack and Slash Publishing, can you tell us about some of the stuff you've put out and a few of your games, or, or should I say possibly supplements that you have available out there?
1: Yeah, uh, I have some books. I just finished a trilogy on Downtime and Domain Artifices, deceptions, and dilemmas, and bestial ecosystems created by monstrous inhabitation. Um, and they're kind of a reverse core set monster manual, player's handbook, dungeon master's guide that deal with, I like to say, the negative space in gaming. Like the monster manual you have, you have tons of monster manuals, but the one I made has something that none of those has, you know, like discussions on ecology and 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 strangeness and how to organically explore that in a setting versus lists of monsters and their stats, right? So it's like a reflection of the things that the core rule books don't cover. Um and I'm really, really proud. I like them a lot. I also um, I, I do some work for I have a book from Lamentations of the Flame Princess called In a Deadly Fashion. Which is a murder mystery set in Spain, uh, and I have a supplement from Frog God Alchemy for, I believe, Pathfinder and Five E. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: so you know, uh, I'm I'm a working professional in the RPG industry.
0: Excellent, excellent.
1: It's as glamorous as you think it is, just <laughs> to say, not at all.
0: So I've got I've got a few questions for you here. Sure, I, I recently picked up uh, on Downtimes. Is it? De- Domain
1: domains, the main is how that's pronounced. Yeah, yeah,
0: I'm bad at pronouncing things. No, sorry. everybody is because <laughs> like, we we
1: grew up reading words and not hearing them said, like in the Dungeon Master's Guide. And so, all of us as, as role playing gamers share this experience mispronouncing words. Oh, I used yeah. to do miscellaneous and <laughs> uh, d- uh. Debris instead of debris the ones that I mispronounced, right? I'm sure everybody has their stories of words that they read and thought were said a certain way and that were not, you know? Oh, I've
0: got, I've got far too many. I've got far too many I've said on here that were pronounced completely wrong. Yeah,
1: well, I, and, <laughs> and, and you know, like when you're a kid and that happens, you feel terrible, but now as an adult, I'm just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, I don't want to, you just tell me what to say and I'll say it.
0: Yeah, well, the one that I, Mork Borg. You know how to pronounce Mark Borg? It's Mark Borg, isn't it? No. How is it? Murik Borg.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. So That's the a-
0: G is like a Y, and people the Northern European
1: the Borg. thing, right?
0: Yeah, I guess yeah. I, I I had to have it per- explained, and I may be still butchering it saying that. But sure, the sure. Question of the Borg. It's it's the G is supposed to be like a like a soft like a Y mm-hmm. like Borg. From what I understand, and we that's everybody's just calling it markboard. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I mean, you know, that's as Americans, that's how you would pronounce that, right? So yeah,
0: sense. that's how I. I, mean, I just stuck with it I, at first. I, was I like, feel oh, I feel right. good now.
1: Now, now, <laughs> next time I have to say it aloud, I can I can say it somewhat correctly to everybody. Be like, "Ooh, what's Ooh, that?" I, I, I feel use good. fancy
0: words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have to speak with my midwestern language. <laughs> yes, yeah, is true. So anyhow, the bestial ecosystems is the newest one that you've come out with the trip for the trilogy, correct? Yeah, yeah. And the I- last.
1: Yeah, I I they're they're definitely a set and they're definitely done. I don't know. Maybe some point in the future there could be another volume, but like I, I think I've said what I had to say, you know, about um the space and gaming that drives play forward, which is really what the books are about.
0: Yeah. So like and like you said, it kind of it doesn't give you new monsters, but it gives you more to work with for existing monsters that are pretty common.
1: Yeah. And it's not like um, the book is somewhat crowdsourced. It started originally as a G plus project to do a useful the, the theory was a useful ecology article. Because the ecology articles in Dragon were pieces of short fiction and contained like one or two good ideas, right? Yes. Well, the OSR doesn't need 6,000 words to communicate two ideas. I wanted to use 6,000 words to communicate 600 ideas, right? And so that's what each monster entry is. It's these pages and pages of conceptions for like history or explanations or rumors about the monster, and then a system for taking those things and placing them in the campaign world so the players can organically discover the relationships between the monsters in the ecosystems you've created. And, you know, it. It's what I do in play like I I didn't write these books for anybody else I wrote them because they're they're tools for me to run a game. I I just formalize those tools in the form of books right. And so this this way you don't have to do anything to invest your players you don't have to do data dumps, the way they encounter the presence of the monsters informs the relationship and the history of whatever you've decided is in your ecosystem. And it's just basically a huge, it's a big book full of ideas. Like it's dense. Like it's, when you look at it, there's so many ideas on every page, you know, that, that, um, that it gives you a lot of inspiration and ideas for creating and designing world building and campaign tools and stuff.
0: I have to say one of the things that that stands out first with these books is the covers. The cover art is brilliant. I love it. <laughs> fungus
1: Carl Standenberg, I, I butchered his last name. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal artist. And like, I think that ninety five percent of all the tabletop RPG covers are bullshit. I think they're terrible. if i I'm just not gonna buy anything that's got three dudes standing on the cover. You know, like I just, it's out. It's not on the thing for me. I want, I want something that, you know, has uh, a look and a feel and a style. And if you look at my, my books and the people I've, like, I didn't do the cover for Frog God or, or the Lamentations adventure I wrote, but my books, like the Perdition covers by Matthew Adams, Uh, Perdition is a role playing game I wrote about uh, uh, living in a prime material plane that's been taken over by devils like like I I try and create these dynamic interesting colorful unusual covers because I think that the books deserve that these aren't you know uh, they're technical writing but they're creative too. you know
0: yeah. I, I like what's happening design wise in a lot of the more independent spheres of the, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess, OSR, NSR, indie scenes that are going on, self publishing. There's some beautiful stuff going on. Uh, the use of color in these, I like the vibrant color. Oh, that stands he's so out. good. <laughs> it's, he's, so it's good. Carl,
1: he's got a new baby. Uh, he's doing well. it's It's been a pleasure to work with him. If you guys, it's the Skull Fungus on what, Instagram. And if you guys want to follow him or um, uh, his, his name is Carl and he does work in the field and it's just brilliant. It's brilliant. He's got a mega dungeon he does in his own Patreon. I, I definitely want to talk him up because he's talented and professional and it's just it was phenomenal working with him.
0: I'm I'm curious about that that mega dungeon. I, I'm a big mega dungeon. Yeah, he fan. draws these. <laughs> he draws
1: the style of maps and the cover. is the levels and stats them out for a mega dungeon. So it's really, really a cool Patreon.
0: Excellent. Now I'm going to ask a little bit about the other. We covered the yeah, past yeah, ecosystems. Yeah. Could you tell you us like. about on on downtime and debt?
1: domain um, um, domains domain. yeah that's domain. A, it's a, it's it's a an archaic spelling for domain like the area that you oversee right <laughs> yes uh it's it's about like so it's a it's a player's handbook without any classes or combat rules basically it's like what is going on during the non-adventure parts of play that drive the adventure parts of play and so it's 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 a it's a Modular systemic approach to giving the players non adventure goals that affect and allow and enable their ability to adventure. Like, you can, there's rules in there for like creating a cult and using the congregation's power to cover the cost of magic item creation or fortress creation because you have like an army of converts right yes it it allows it gives the it gives the um referee guidelines for how to allow these downtime activities to drive play players are going to want to do things they're going to want to hire mercenaries they're going to want to set up camp and then you're like well you don't have permission to do that here, you know, and like, here's what's going on influence wise, and you can take steps either, you know, diegetically in the game or by choosing some of these downtime options to gain that influence so that you can then do those things. And um, it's really a tool set for, for uh, DMs to not have to work so hard to present players to the adventures, but rather motivate the adventures themselves through the environment so that they have goals that they want to accomplish. I,
0: I appreciate that. I do. I I think that's that stuff that I'm I've been trying to get my players kind of more into doing instead right. of me being like hey you have to hey there's so and so wants you to save the day kind uh-huh, of stuff. Yes. yes. Uh, is that really how it works in reality? I'm not sitting here at home flipping to the TV someone comes knocking on the door hey yeah come safe. like if i'm gonna get into something i gotta go out and actively be involved and try to get yeah. into it yeah. so like i like that
1: <laughs> yeah well i i the players they they uh it's a good first start you've got a quest you go on an adventure but then during the quest things happen and so that npc you meet and the events that happen the book helps you integrate those into like a living world the players are going to have their own desires for the adventure they just went on and their opinions. Like that guy's yes. a jerk or we want to help Bobo the goblin or whatever. And then it gives them some guidelines as players for how specifically they can do that. There's a ton of stuff, cool stuff in there too. Like I'm a big fan of like the 18 bricolage, you know, where they build the van up, you know, in yes. the episode. <laughs> yes. and, and so there's rules in there for creating vehicles and like, like, Things that players want to do, like build a base or build a tank or build a like a like some sort of magical vehicle or or build a castle and like options for those things. Really, really giving them the opportunity to be active in the high fantasy realm instead of just agents of other forces to be a force themselves is kind of what the book is about.
0: So just so that's what it's about. Could you give us some examples of what because they have like. They have different sections here. You've got activities and labors, character and people, uh, wealth and prosperity, construction, influence. And then you got a few appendices did uh-huh. you give people an idea of, of of examples of what you're talking about within the book specific points that might be of interest be like hey i well, definitely yeah. want to check that out
1: <laughs> yeah it was it was a tool for me right so like in the people and characters I'm constantly needing to come up with mercenary companies and npcs in towns and i don't want a table that says 2d4 rats I want the seed. I want a seed of like something going on there. And so, you know, like there were a lot of people that worked on the project that provided little bits. So there's that organic sort of, it's not all coming from the same voice. You don't get a lot of repetitiveness of ideas. You get, you know, like different things. And so those tools are there, like in the sessions to uh, allow DMs to very easily create, you know, these dynamic, these living environments, you know, and give them to the players um and then each section is about different things you have to consider you know like thieves are going to want to do crime right so how <laughs> do thieves do crime so there's systems for thieves doing crime and there's systems and not like not like 1980 where they're trying to represent physics But playable systems that are usable in a campaign, like handling a thief, getting caught, doing crime during downtime, and then having the the punishment applied and then finished, you know, either breaking them out of jail or letting them serve their time without it taking up for campaign sessions you know, and then you just have this system for the thieves that can choose to do crime. And then they're doing their thing. They're bringing in extra income. They're getting experience for doing crime and they're at risk for the criminal thing, you know, and and it's a system for handling it very efficiently in a way that adds into the gameplay of adventure rather than requiring, like, there's no useless Like, I didn't make a rule just to make a rule. I made a rule because this comes up at my table. Right. And this is how we resolved it.
0: Uh, The one that I don't. So I've only got two of the three. Uh, Two out of three ain't bad, I think Meatloaf Mm -hmm. said.
1: Yes, it's true.
0: I'm I'm hoping to pick up the third one, and and that's Artifices, Deceptions, and Dilemmas. Did I pronounce Mm -hmm. all of that correctly? You did. You did.
1: (laughs) Excellent. Well, I I think if you notice in the titles, the acronyms are od and D, A D and d and BECMI
0: oh yeah oh snap i didn't catch on to that till you just pointed that out that's brilliant (laughs) so like
1: like there's a reason they're a little uh whatever like it's it's an homage (laughs) right to the games i played growing up
0: i I appreciate that that's great that's Mm -hmm. great you know i i never played um od and d or beast or Beck me growing up i just played Mm -hmm. ad and d uh when we were kids it was like that's basic. That's for babies. <laughs> it was it wasn't <laughs> like that. My dad, it,
1: like, I remember because he was a gamer. He's like, just because it says advanced doesn't he's like trying to tell me that right like the basic stuff isn't just for kids but it's kids you know when we were eight and nine <laughs> and playing dnd with our friends we wanted the advanced one we didn't want the baby one right? yeah, that's exactly
0: it <laughs> we were big kids we're cool mm-hmm. we're smart enough for the advanced
1: that's right that's right and as adults you go back and you look at that that basic stuff and there's just it's it's good Yes, I really like Mistara. It's probably one of my favorite campaign settings for sure. And so all the basic stuff I've always had a soft spot for as an adult.
0: Yeah, I, I honestly really only discovered lots of the basic stuff much later on in life. I
1: think that's true for a lot of us.
0: Yeah, all over AD&D, second edition, especially because I didn't start playing D&D for many years into my gaming. I started playing in the late 80s and I didn't play D&D until 93. Mm -hmm. So I was into like sci-fi games and stuff. I
1: was well into vampire by 93. Uh, (laughs) We played, we we tried
0: vampire a bit. I was, I we I went to a few LARPs because everybody was going to the goth clubs in the uh-huh. 90s. And <laughs> I went to well,
1: party. it was like Vampire came around right about the same time that I was getting interested in girls. Yeah. And so it made sense to switch from D&D to Vampire because <laughs> there were a lot of girls into Vampire, right? It's, it's, <laughs> it is a functionally much more broadly gender appealing game. And so we played a lot of Vampire yeah
0: we I was uh I have to say the biggest game we played through just periods eights and I was heroes unlimited we were comic geeks and that's what we were <laughs> have you seen have you seen ascendant oh uh, yeah uh, wait ascendant wait I'm trying to think that rings a bell who put that out
1: autark they they recently no. released ascendant which is like the child of the heroes champions and uh aberrant. I have
0: not seen that. I need to You that you would
1: out. you it, it uses physics-based superhero resolution. So like if you're into the Heroes Champion stuff, this mm-hmm. was a game designed to honor the the creation systems behind that. Okay. It's a little it's a little crunchy for me, but if you like Heroes Champions, it's that style of game.
0: Artifices de- artifices deceptions and dilemmas. Can you tell us what we can expect to see in that?
1: Yeah, um, it is, it's the book that probably contains the least text um, and the most illustrations. I, I made over 100 individual room illustrations for that. It's less mechanical and more philosophical like it contains a lot of really useful insight on the types of traps and variations in them if you've seen the type of lists that are like interesting things you can do to a party you know like um there's a list in the back of OD&D that's like Gollum has a gem that if removed deactivates it or whatever right mm-hmm. or you find something in a monster that opens up something else you know or you got like combinations of like goblins on wolves it's it's a compilation of that type of stuff but really uh, my model for the book was the book of five rings by mayamoto musashi it really talks about as a storyteller what you're as a as a referee as a game master what your approach should be to the game like like not quantitatively but rather like emotionally and spiritually like you're you're functionally creating a shared imaginative space in a room with several people and and that type of milieu and managing that milieu isn't it's not a robot, it's not a computer game. You know, there's a stance you have to take of safety and exploration um, and allow people to become vulnerable. Because if anybody's talking in character, they're vulnerable, right? And so it's sort of, I'm saying all this, it's a (laughs) book filled with traps and rooms and ideas for constructing dungeons. But also, you know, it it really does take an approach for, it, it talks about like what your stance, your 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 stance should be in a game, like how you should be remain open and and not get defensive and make. Um, I wrote it in the book because I thought very deeply about how to say it well. So no, I can't say it well at all.
0: When I'm approaching this book uh, and, and looking through it, what what am I going to expect to see exactly in there? Like, like are we? It's. I hear it's, what.
1: Yes, Go. so it's inspirational. Okay. Like there, they, it, it it categorizes. There's a lot of information in there for mm-hmm. people who grew up in the modern era and might not have any idea about what life was like m- in medieval times. Okay, there's, there's illustrations of these spaces, like a workshop, right, or like a smithery or whatever, and it gives you. And they're they're deeply artistic. These illustrations, um, they they they're they're full-on black and white. there's over a hundred black and white like full art pieces in there, and they they they're evocative, right They're inspirational and in each room it also lists like the types of things you would find in that room like a, mm-hmm. an exhaustive list of materials you might run across. so it's useful in designing dungeons, right? okay, it's not, yeah it's it's a it's it's a counterpart to something like uh, the Tome of Adventure Design. The Tome of Adventure Design is thorough and completely with lists and lists and lists. This is less that and more, inspiration uh the second part lists uh how to handle traps without gotchas basically it it describes tons of common traps and how to present them in ways that characters can interact with them without them just being damage taxes it it discusses all kinds of options in traps as an obstacle or an event rather than uh hit point tax
0: excellent excellent where do you get your start in gaming and how did you get from there to writing your own stuff and putting it out there
1: <laughs> oh, well that's, that's that's an interesting question um i i started one of my first memories was my dad and me going to the mall and getting a player's handbook and sitting down and looking through it together because he played and i just the art and the idea of like a paladin and the, the Byzantine secretive arcane of the rules I- instantly, you know, like I'm sure we all have our stories, about how we mm-hmm. were originally. And then, you know, it was the eighties and we were kids. So we played D D like it was about getting together gas money and going and hanging out or how we got, we, all of us would go over to a person's house over the weekend and we'd play all Friday night and all Saturday. And then everybody would go home Sunday. You know, it was a thing that we did and, you know, it, it took up a lot of, I was lucky, even though I live in the South, we didn't have too much of the, my parents played and, you know, we, we kept it on the DL for the parents who might be upset that it was demonic or whatever. People don't understand that the amount of hostility that DD was subject to at the time. Right. You were looked at as, as like, in the South, certainly, as if you were evil. Um, I know you hear people talk about it, but it was, like, systemic. It was an issue. Like, it had to be addressed if you were going to play D&D. Like, what are the parents going to say and stuff? And then, um, you know, I, I've i always been interested in writing, but here's the thing is that writing is very hard. and I was very bad at it. I don't think I wrote anything good until after my first decade of writing daily. Right, mm-hmm. And so what I did was, is I started a blog for the same reasons a lot of other people did. Uh, I was unhappy with fourth edition. I thought that the way we played d and wasn't represented by the way that D&D was being created and presented. And I found myself becoming part of the OSR movement right and now i don't know that i would associate i I write stuff for classic gaming stuff but i also do modern things um you know there's some baggage associated with that now and yeah the point is is that it was a community of people who really enjoyed playing as an adventure filled with risk rather than as like a tactical exercise in character building right yeah and and It was, it was, there was a zeitgeist and it was popular and I wrote a popular blog and I became a better writer. And then one day I had an idea for really kind of collating a lot of the NPC uh, rules and ideas that were there in the old school gaming stuff. And I wrote a book called on the non-player character. And I then realized that you could make a, a living doing this, not a good living but you could (laughs) make rent, you know, you could, you could survive. And it is a job. I don't want anybody to think that it's not like, like it took a decade to get Alchemy published. Like uh, the wheels of publication did not turn quickly. I feel that I've been very lucky and that I have an audience, but the way I built the way I have that audience is I produced content for free five days a week for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So if you're willing to do that, you can find a following. Uh, it's not, it's not like a thing you break into. It's just, it's like you do it for so long that people eventually are like, well, I guess we should pay you. It's like the Lego guy, right? (laughs) His job is building the Lego structures. Well, how did he get that job? Well, he built Lego structures until Lego's like, you know, fuck, we should pay that guy. Like, you know, he works for us now. Like, that's, that's how you do it. I don't know what to tell you about it. It's not like, it works well for me. Um, I'm schizophrenic. Uh, so it's, it's super useful that I have a job that doesn't force me to interact, uh, with the wider world. I don't think a lot of people, a lot of people might have like daydreams about being a writer, being successful, but functionally they have to understand that what that means is that you spend 12 hours alone every day. Cause that's what writing is. It's sitting and thinking. And most people don't have the stomach for being alone for 60 hours a week, right? They want that social interaction. They need it. And I don't have that problem, (laughs) you know, like my, you know, mental status and stuff. So it's a good, it's a good fit for me, but really it's just a ton of labor intensive, highly technical work that's underpaid. And it's, it's a good fit for me because I, it fulfills me like personally. And it's what I like to spend my time doing, you know? But um, I can certainly understand why other people find it challenging because it's not like a job you take; it's 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 a lifestyle you exist until somebody's like, "Well, we should probably put that guy in the payroll."
0: Um,
1: <laughs> Or you got to sell your own work. You know, you got to be your own agent. Do yeah. your own. And then there's the technical aspects. Like I know more about color profiles than I ever wanted to know. I don't, I, mean, <laughs> I, I have an art degree, right? Like that's what my bachelor's is in, but I don't, I, it's not in publishing and like every publisher is different. Every printer is different and you've got all these formats and I swear That's easily by far the most complicated and, expensive and time because that's the part of the job where you're like oh i just wasted five hundred dollars right <Yeah>. like that, <laughs> yeah. that's where the stress comes in but it's it's like anything else you're doing in life you're doing it you know mm-hmm. i don't know if that makes sense to your audience or not it's just <laughs> yeah
0: i i'm not even going to get into the, the color profile i worked as a as a as an illustrator designer for many years doing so you know, marketing you know and things yeah is- the publishing yeah it it, it, the side of getting yeah it is what it is it's better it's better now than it was
1: 20 years ago like at least i have swop you know japanese print right there or whatever Yeah, like i don't have to like i can see it being much worse than it is it's still a hassle
0: oh yeah yeah and when i was getting well when i started getting into to the, the print side of thing it was the it was the 90s and uh Yeah, (laughs) things have changed a lot since when I started way earlier. than Things have changed a lot. You couldn't do you couldn't
1: do what I did in the 90s. There was no self publishing, you know, you'd have to go order books and have like a distribution network and everything else.
0: Well, I did. I self published small publications in the 90s and I had to have access to, you know, I had to burn plates. I had to have access to like big, big, giant print printer. I had a huge, my first self-published thing was, is in high school. I went to a school that where it was a trade school and I went for the graphics Mm -hmm. course and they taught you photography and burning plates and running Mm -hmm. presses. And my school project for the year was, Hey, make a comic and print it yourself. Made a comic called Josh, man. It was about my little brother who went to school and I and and one of some kids were smoking a joint behind a science fair project called the effects of radioactive laxatives on Fluffy the Lab Bunny. And it blew up and turned the teacher into Mutant Man. So Josh, man, my little brother had to become like Batman and fight Mutant Man. <laughs> it That's was cool. absurd. <laughs> yeah. That was the first but, thing I ever um, published. It was.
1: <laughs> I, you know, and like my mother's a writer. That's her career you know, um, so I've grown up with this. The whole, all, everything is self-published. It's just self-published by groups of people who self-published stuff. <laughs> the, the fact is, is that most writing is really, really bad. And it does take decades to get good. And even now I require an editor, you know, yeah. like I don't, I edit my own stuff, but I also pay an editor because writing is hard. Mm-hmm. Like, and 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 you can tell because when you read something that's been written by like a professional writer, there's a clear difference between somebody who says, well, I can write it right? Mm -hmm. And it just, it's time and experience and whatever else. And the publishing companies were basically self-publishing everything, like you said. Yeah. But they have, they they employ an army of editors to dig through trash. (laughs) And it is, it's piles of like just repetitive, extra, dull, uninteresting, conflict-free, you know, like indulgent trash. You know, like it's difficult to produce like a tight Manuscript that's suitable for publication, and I think that most of the people who have bought my stuff are really happy with it. Considering they they keep coming back, so you know I'd hope that that quality and that level is something that people come to expect.
0: Well, I want to thank you for coming on. We're about on time Could you tell the listeners where that. they can find you on. Yeah, I, I have like a.
1: Like? I have a I have a blog called Hack and Slash, and I have all my contact information there. You can sign up for the newsletter. Um, which will update you about any current projects I have going on. I also have a Patreon uh, hack and slash um, for people who want to support and get early access to uh, like currently I'm working on a clone of a certain popular game, not, Uh, the world's greatest fantasy game but another one and early access for the draft of that is up on my patreon and you know uh, i have a discord which is a really chill uh liberal community you know um people are welcome to come and talk with me about uh gaming rules and stuff there i i i'm available and on the internet nearly all day every day (laughs) Uh, you got in touch with me pretty easily i have you know all the standard social media stuff facebook and twitter is there a place down below the podcast we can link all this stuff yeah if you you send
0: me links i will go ahead and put some links in the show notes yeah. so if you have any image an image you want me to use for the icon for the episode or any kind of links you want me to link i to do i do have some
1: stuff for, i can just definitely send you a media package for sure the fact Excellent. that i have a media package is very strange <laughs> to me in my 40s but like yeah uh absolutely i'm around online in a game all the time I, i'm in like currently about four games a week plus play testing for my new game and you know, this is this is what I do. And I, I love uh, talking with and helping people. You know, my only job is to make sure somebody who buys my book is happy. That's easy. That, that's very fulfilling for me. I can make sure somebody gets something that makes their gaming experience better. And people say, I mean, you've you've got them. What do you think of the books? Like, just I, genuine, I, you can no, I have right completely,
0: but I really like what I've read. I really want to get the third one. But I, I, I like what you put out here in the bestial ecosystems. I think that there's some useful stuff. I'm going to be cross-referencing this as I pull out monsters uh-huh. where I'm prepping for games.
1: Yeah,
0: I haven't had as much time to go through on downtimes and... and-
1: domain
0: domains <laughs> every time i look at it i want don't to look start.
1: at the spelling it's just down domain. times
0: and domains i want uh-huh, to spell yeah, out it differently
1: when you, uh, when you look at it you twist but
0: yeah mind. for the, the content that i've been pulling out of there it's really useful stuff to think about when you're running a game and the way you saying and I, and I appreciate that the way this is the you're kind of content this i'm looking
1: for yeah the way you approach this works is absolutely correct they're dense idea dense it's not like a thing you can sit and read through because you're coming across so many ideas that it's like getting like your brain is just being twisted a bunch of different directions and so that's exactly the way they're supposed to be used you open them when you need inspiration and then everything else flows from that well i want to thank you for coming on oh well i th- thank you for having me here logar no it's no. been pleasant the The brazers are set to the right temperature and the <laughs> cave is nicely lit by torchlight it's all good
0: Excellent, excellent. If you've enjoyed what you've heard here today, please give us a positive review wherever you're listening. You can find us on Facebook. Search Wobblies and Wizards. WobbliesandWizards.com is our blog. I'm on Twitter at Logar We're on Patreon. We could really use the support. Patreon.com backslash wobblies and wizards. And as always, keep those dice rolling.